Scaramouche, Book Two, Chapter Four. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, please visit LibriVox.org. This reading by Gordon Mackenzie. Scaramouche, a romance of the French Revolution, by Raphael Sabatini, Book Two, Chapter Four. Exit, Monsieur Parvissimus. At four o'clock on Monday afternoon, the curtain rose on Figaro Scaramouche to an audience that filled three-quarters of the market hall. Monsieur Benet attributed this good attendance to the influx of people to Guichen for the fair, and to the magnificent parade of his company through the streets of the township at the busiest time of the day. André Louis attributed it entirely to the title. It was the Figaro touch that had fetched in the better-class bourgeoisie, which filled more than half of the twenty-sous places and three-quarters of the twelve-sous seats. The lure had drawn them. Whether it was to continue to do so would depend upon the manner in which the canvas, over which he had laboured to the glory of Binet, was interpreted by the company. Of the merits of the canvas itself he had no doubt. The authors upon whom he had drawn for the elements of it were sound, and he had taken of their best, which he claimed to be no more than the justice due to them. The company excelled itself. The audience followed with relish the sly intriguings of Scaramouche, delighted in the beauty and freshness of Clemene, was moved almost to tears by the hard fate which through four long acts kept her from the hungering arms of the so beautiful Leandre, howled its delight over the ignominy of Pantaloon, the buffooneries of his sprightly lackey Harlequin, and the thrasonical strut and bellowing fierceness of the cowardly Rodemont. The success of the Benet troupe in Guichen was assured. That night the company drank Burgundy at Monsieur Benet's expense. The takings reached the sum of eight louis, which was as good business as Monsieur Benet had ever done in all his career. He was very pleased. Gratification rose like steam from his fat body. He even condescended so far as to attribute a share of the credit for the success to Monsieur Parvissimus. His suggestion, he was careful to say, by way of properly delimiting that share, was most valuable, as I perceived at the time. And his cutting of quills, growled Polichinelle, don't forget that. It is most important to have by you a man who understands how to cut a quill, as I shall remember when I turn author. But not even that jibe could stir Monsieur Benet out of his lethargy of content. On Tuesday the success was repeated artistically and augmented financially. Ten louis and seven livres was the enormous sum that André Louis, the doorkeeper, counted over to Monsieur Benet after the performance. 
Never yet had Monsieur Benet made so much money in one evening, and a miserable little village like Guichen was certainly the last place in which he would have expected this windfall. Ah, but Guichen in the time of fair, André Louis reminded him. There are people here from as far as Nantes and Rennes to buy and sell. Tomorrow, being the last day of the fair, the crowds will be greater than ever. We should better this evening's receipts. Better them? I shall be quite satisfied if we do as well, my friend. You can depend upon that, André Louis assured him. Are we to have Burgundy? And then the tragedy occurred. It announced itself in a succession of bumps and thuds, culminating in a crash outside the door that brought them all to their feet in alarm. Perrault sprang to open and beheld the tumbled body of a man lying at the foot of the stairs. It emitted groans, therefore it was alive. Perrault went forward to turn it over and disclosed the fact that the body wore the wizened face of Scaramouche, a grimacing, groaning, twitching Scaramouche. The whole company, pressing after Perrault, abandoned itself to laughter. "'I always said you should change parts with me,' cried Harlequin. "'You're such an excellent tumbler. Have you been practicing? "'Fool!' Scaramouche snapped. Must you be laughing when I've all but broken my neck? You are right. We ought to be weeping, because you didn't break it. Come, man, get up. And he held out a hand to the prostrate rogue. Scaramouche took the hand, clutched it, heaved himself from the ground, then with a scream dropped back again. My foot! he complained. Benet rolled through the group of players, scattering them to right and left. Apprehension had been quick to seize him. Fate had played him such tricks before. "'What ails your foot?' quoth he sourly. "'It's broken, I think,' Scaramouche complained. "'Broken? Bah! Get up, man!' He caught him under the armpits and hauled him up. Scaramouche came howling to one foot. The other doubled under him when he attempted to set it down, and he must have collapsed again but that Benet supported him. He filled the place with his plaint, whilst Benet swore amazingly and variedly. "'Must you bellow like a calf, you fool? Be quiet! A chair here! Someone!' A chair was thrust forward. He crushed Scaramouche down into it. Let us look at this foot of yours. Heedless of Scaramouche's howls of pain, he swept away shoe and stocking. What ails it? he asked, staring. Nothing that I can see. He seized it, heel in one hand, instep in the other, and gyrated it. Scaramouche screamed in agony until Climene caught Benet's arm and made him stop. "'My God! Have you no feelings?' she reproved her father. "'The lad has hurt his foot. Must you torture him? Will that cure it?' "'Hurt his foot!' 
said Binet. I can see nothing the matter with his foot, nothing to justify all this uproar. He has bruised it, maybe. A man with a bruised foot doesn't scream like that, said Madame, over Clement's shoulder. Perhaps he has dislocated it. That is what I fear, whimpered Scaramouche. Benet heaved himself up in disgust. Take him to bed, he bade them, and fetch a doctor to see him. It was done, and the doctor came. Having seen the patient, he reported that nothing very serious had happened, but that in falling he had evidently sprained his foot a little. A few days' rest, and all would be well. A few days! cried Benet. God of God! Do you mean that he can't walk? It would be unwise, indeed impossible, for more than a few steps. Monsieur Benet paid the doctor's fee, and sat down to think. He filled himself a glass of burgundy, tossed it off without a word, and sat thereafter staring into the empty glass. "'It is, of course, the sort of thing that must always be happening to me,' he grumbled to no one in particular. The members of the company were all standing in silence before him, sharing his dismay. I might have known that this, or something like it, would occur to spoil the first vein of luck that I have found in years. Ah, well, it is finished. Tomorrow we pack and depart, the best day of the fair on the crest of the wave of our success. A good fifteen louis to be taken, and this happens. God of God! Do you mean to abandon tomorrow's performance? All turned to stare with Benet at André Louis. Are we to play Figaro Scaramouche without Scaramouche? asked Binet, sneering. Of course not, André Louis came forward. But surely some rearrangements of the parts is possible. For instance, there is a fine actor in Polichinelle. Polichinelle swept him a bow. Overwhelmed, said he, ever sardonic. But he has a part of his own, objected Binet. A small part which Pasquariel could play. And who will play Pasquariel? Nobody. We delete it. The play need not suffer. He thinks of everything, sneered Polichinelle. What a man! But Binet was far from agreement. Are you suggesting that Polichinelle should play Scaramouche? He asked incredulously. Why not? He is able enough. Overwhelmed again, interjected Polichinelle. Play Scaramouche with that figure? Binet heaved himself up to point a denunciatory finger at Polichinelle's sturdy, thick-set shortness. For lack of a better, said André Louis. Overwhelmed more than ever. Polichinelle's bow was superb this time. Faith, I think I'll take the air to cool me after so much blushing. Go to the devil, Benet flung at him. 
Better and better. Polichinelle made for the door. On the threshold he halted and struck an attitude. Understand me, Binet. I do not now play Scaramouche in any circumstances whatever. And he went out. On the whole, it was a very dignified exit. André-Louis shrugged, threw out his arms, and let them fall to his sides again. "'You have ruined everything,' he told Monsieur Benet. "'The matter could easily have been arranged. "'Well, well, it is you are master here, "'and since you want us to pack and be off, "'that is what we will do, I suppose.' "'He went out, too. "'Monsieur Benet stood in thought a moment, "'and then followed him, his little eyes very cunning. He caught him up in the doorway. "'Let us take a walk together, Monsieur Parvissimus,' said he, very affably. He thrust his arm through André Louise and led him out into the street, where there was still considerable movement. Past the booths that ranged about the market they went, and down the hill towards the bridge. "'I don't think we shall pack tomorrow said monsieur benet presently in fact we shall play tomorrow night not if i know polichinelle you have i am not thinking of polichinelle of whom then of yourself i am flattered sir and in what capacity are you thinking of me there was something too sleek and oily in Benet's voice for André-Louis' taste. "'I am thinking of you in the part of Scaramouche.' "'Daydreams,' said André-Louis. "'You are amusing yourself, of course.' "'Not in the least. I am quite serious.' "'But I am not an actor.' "'You told me that you could be?' "'Oh, upon occasion.' A small part, perhaps. Well, here is a big part, the chance to arrive at a single stride. How many men have had such a chance? It is a chance I do not covet, Monsieur Benet. Shall we change the subject? He was very frosty, as much perhaps because he scented in Monsieur Benet's manner something that was vaguely menacing as for any other reason. "'We'll change the subject when I please,' said Monsieur Benet, allowing a glimpse of steel to glimmer through the silk of him. "'Tomorrow night you play Scaramouche. You are ready enough in your wits, your figure is ideal, and you have just the kind of mordant humour for the part. You should be a great success.' "'It is much more likely that I should be an egregious failure.' "'That won't matter,' said Benet cynically, and explained himself. "'The failure will be personal to yourself. The receipts will be safe by then.' "'Much obliged,' said André-Louis. "'We should take fifteen louis tomorrow night.' "'It is unfortunate that you are without a scaramouche,' said André-Louis. "'It is fortunate that I have one.' Monsieur Parvissimus. André-Louis disengaged his arm. I begin to find you tiresome, 
said he. I think I will return. A moment, Monsieur Parvissimus. If I am to lose that fifteen louis, you'll not take it amiss that I compensate myself in other ways. That is your own concern, Monsieur Benet. Pardon, Monsieur Parvissimus. It may possibly be also yours. Benet took his arm again. Do me the kindness to step across the street with me, just as far as the post office there. I have something to show you. André Louis went. Before they reached that sheet of paper nailed upon the door, he knew exactly what it would say. And in effect it was, as he had supposed, that twenty Louis would be paid for information leading to the apprehension of one André Louis Moreau, lawyer of Gavriac, who was wanted by the king's lieutenant in Rennes upon a charge of sedition. Monsieur Benet watched him whilst he read. Their arms were linked, and Benet's grip was firm and powerful. Now, my friend, said he, Will you be Monsieur Parvissimus and play Scaramouche tomorrow, or will you be André Louis Moreau of Gavriac and go to Rennes to satisfy the king's lieutenant? And if it should happen that you are mistaken, quoth André Louis, his face a mask. I'll take the risk of that, leered Monsieur Benet. You mentioned, I think that you were a lawyer, an indiscretion, my dear. It is unlikely that two lawyers will be in hiding at the same time in the same district. You see, it is not really clever of me. Well, Monsieur André-Louis Moreau, lawyer of Gavriac, what is it to be? We will talk it over as we walk back, said André-Louis. What is there to talk over? One or two things, I think. I must know where I stand. Come, sir, if you please. Very well, said Monsieur Binet, and they turned up the street again, but Monsieur Binet maintained a firm hold of his young friend's arm, and kept himself on the alert for any tricks that the young gentleman might be disposed to play. It was an unnecessary precaution. André-Louis was not the man to waste his energy futilely. He knew that in bodily strength he was no match at all for the heavy and powerful pantaloon. If I yield to your most eloquent and seductive persuasions, Monsieur Benet, said he sweetly, what guarantee do you give me that you will not sell me for twenty louis after I shall have served your turn. You have my word of honor for that, Monsieur Binet was emphatic. André Louis laughed. Oh, we are to talk of honor, are we? Really, Monsieur Binet, it is clear you think me a fool. In the dark he did not see the flush that leapt to Monsieur Binet's round face. It was some moments before he replied. Perhaps you are right, he growled. 
What guarantee do you want? I do not know what guarantee you can possibly give. I have said that I will keep faith with you. Until you find it more profitable to sell me. You have it in your power to make it more profitable always for me to keep faith with you. It is due to you that we have done so well in Guichen. Oh, I admit it frankly. In private, said André Louis. Monsieur Benet left the sarcasm unheeded. What you have done for us here, with Figaro Scaramouche, you can do elsewhere with other things. Naturally, I shall not want to lose you. That is your guarantee. Yet tonight you would sell me for twenty louis. Because, name of God, you enraged me by refusing me a service well within your powers. Don't you think, had I been entirely the rogue you think me, that I could have sold you on Saturday last? I want you to understand me, my dear Parvissimus. I beg that you'll not apologize. You would be more tiresome than ever. Of course you will be jibing. You never miss a chance to jibe. It'll bring you trouble before you're done with life. Come. Here we are, back at the inn, and you have not yet given me your decision. André Louis looked at him. I must yield, of course. I can't help myself. Monsieur Benet released his arm at last and slapped him heartily upon the back. Well declared, my lad. You'll never regret it. If I know anything of the theatre, I know that you have made the great decision of your life. Tomorrow night you'll thank me. Andre Louis shrugged and stepped out ahead towards the inn, but Monsieur Benet called him back. Monsieur Pavissimus. He turned. There stood the man's great bulk, the moonlight beating down upon that round, fat face of his, and he was holding out his hand. Monsieur Pavissimus. No rancor. It is a thing I do not admit into my life. You will shake hands with me, and we will forget all this. André Louis considered him a moment with disgust. He was growing angry. Then, realized this, he conceived himself ridiculous. Almost as ridiculous as that sly, scoundrelly pantaloon. He laughed and took the outstretched hand. No rancor, Monsieur Benet insisted. Oh, no rancor, said André Louis. End of Book Two, Chapter Four. This reading by Gordon Mackenzie. January two thousand and seven, Troy, Michigan.